Let me give you a biblical worldview of sexuality by looking at a framework, okay? Think of this, a framework or a set of scriptures, okay? For a theology of sexuality. The first one is a mosaic uh, framework. It's found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and chapter 5. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and chapter 5. This is a powerful creation intent of sexuality, where God created gender, marriage, and sex. It's pretty clear. We could stop right there and drop the mic. God created gender, marriage, and sex. And Moses was very clear on the natural order and design of gender, marriage, and sex. Because whatever comes after the original intent is not natural, it is unnatural. Uh, he created male and female, told them to get married and to have passionate sex together and fill the earth, right? Okay, second, wisdom literature. You ever thought about this? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, Song of Solomon, talk about sex very clearly. Every mention of sex is within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Interesting, when you read through all those accounts, healthy marriage, healthy sex is within uh, marriage between a man and a woman. Now listen, don't you think that the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, would have given us an expression of sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman if it were the model, if it were right, if it were okay. Why wouldn't he describe passionate, committed sex between same genders if it were okay? I mean, he's not, he's not dumb. Solomon could have easily laid out this other way. But he didn't. He placed it within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And given the importance of this topic, neither David or Solomon in writing the wisdom scriptures allowed for sexual expression outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And if it is mentioned, that kind of sex, prostitution sex or illicit sex, it was prohibited, okay? So pretty clear, pretty clear. Okay, let me give you a third. Um, the messianic intent. Let's move to the New Testament and look at Matthew 5, Matthew 15, and Matthew 19. When people say Jesus had nothing to say about this issue, that really isn't true. As a matter of fact, Jesus was very clear on this topic, very concise about this topic of sex, of really gender, marriage, and sex, all three of them. So are we gonna say that something can only be a principle if there's a certain amount of volume on it? Like Jesus didn't say much about it, so it can't be too important. Listen, Jesus never addressed directly incest or bestiality with, you know, uh, specifically. So does that make that, those issues, incest, bestiality, are those okay? I don't think any of us would agree with that. Listen, what Jesus did do and what he did say was short and sweet. He upheld Moses. Remember what I, I said, the, that first framework being the Moses intent, the scriptures of the, in the law? Jesus went all the way back to Moses and 
Matthew 5, 15 and 19, and summed it all up when he used an overarching word for illicit sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. The word, pornea. Maybe you recognize that, pornography. Pornea, we'll uh, talk about that. We'll put it in the notes and I'll give you, you know, we'll break that Greek uh, word down, but that brought great clarity on this topic because it was an overarching theme. And so Jesus went back and supported the Mosaic intent. Okay, let me get moves to another one, the Pauline intent in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and Galatians 5 and 1 Timothy 1. Oh my goodness, Paul had a lot to say about this topic. Think about that for a minute because Jesus may not have said a lot about it, but Paul did. Does that make it any less clear to us or important? I think we've said Jesus was very clear on the topic, but Paul, Paul was as uh, thorough as anyone wrote in the scriptures because Paul understood Rome. He understood mythology like very few people. And his words were right to the point that sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman was unnatural. Romans 1, unnatural. And then he used another term, several other terms. He used the term pornea, and, right? So let me move to one more uh, framework. Jude, wow. The whole argument on gender, marriage, and sex could be clear, is so clearly laid out by Jude. We could drop another mic by just reading the book of Jude because he put an emphatic description on the word pornea and heteros sarks or strange flesh. In context, sex with the same kind and called it an abomination, okay? So man, mm, I know this. Let me give you one more biblical framework and that's the Revelation. Revelation 18, 20, 21, and 22. Much like uh, Paul, John loved to make lists. John loved lists and Paul made lists. I think a list is actually helpful. It's not just, it's not like, you know, uh, law or whatever. It, it, it brings clarity. It helps you understand more thoroughly what God want, it intends for us. Not every list or framework is bad for us. John, in the Revelation, actually said, talking about the whore at the end of times. Listen, come out from practicing that sin. And the sin, very clearly, fornication, pornea, or sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman as a sin that keeps us from an eternal heaven. Okay, man, I know that's a lot of truth. Let me hit grace as we close. Because we cannot just bring truth. The church has done a poor job of just bringing truth. The scriptures and theology are honestly, listen, the easy part of understanding this topic. The scriptures are clear. The truth is clear. The hard part is the practice or the relationship. Getting the church to understand not just truth, right and wrong, right? But also grace. We have to stop winning arguments and losing friendships. 
Hit them with the truth, right? Spit the fire. Listen, we need a greater emphasis on relationship, not placing the scarlet letter on somebody because their sin was found worse than another sin, according to us, right? Let me say something. Let's talk about this. People do not have to behave to belong. Young people today tend to be more gracious, right? We, but we have to teach all of these generations, you don't have to behave to belong. I'm not gonna win an argument and lose a friendship, right? But listen, we must wed the two. We, it's not just all about grace and no truth or all about truth and no grace. I believe truth and grace are king and queen in this discussion. And truth and grace as king and queen make a great marriage. If we could equip young people with a theology of sexuality, they already have their relationship part down. The grace is, the grace is there. They're running in grace. But can you imagine the impact of a generation that runs in truth and grace? Okay, man, so much. I feel like I just like dumped that on you.